This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Settling in a new city can raise lots of questions. How does the bus service work? Can I join the local library? Where do I go to get advice on renting a home? Over the next half hour, the team from Citizens Advice Bureau bring you all the latest news and information of special interest to new migrants settling in Dunedin. Welcome to Resettling in Aotearoa with Citizens Advice Bureau. No mai hauri mai, kia ora anō, welcome back to our monthly Resettling in Aotearoa show on Otago Access Radio. Ko Anna, tōku ingoa. My name is Anna, I'm the manager here at Citizens Advice Bureau, Oti Poti Dunedin. Tonight I'm going to continue on from our last show about looking for a rental um, and focus on moving in and the various costs and what you need to be aware of. So firstly, the tenancy agreement, just be aware, is a legally binding contract and should be treated as such. Many tenancy problems come about through poorly documented or unfair tenancy agreements, so it's best to avoid problems by starting the tenancy well. The tenancy agreement must be in writing. This is very important for the tenant's protection. The law says that landlords must provide tenants with a written tenancy agreement to sign before the tenancy begins. The tenant must sign the tenancy agreement too. If the tenant loses their copy of the agreement, they can ask the landlord for a copy of theirs. A landlord who doesn't provide a tenant with a written tenancy agreement can be fined. So, are all tenancy agreements the same? Just remember the tenancy agreements set out the terms and conditions of a tenancy, um, but the tenancy agreements themselves can actually come in different forms. So the best one is the approved tenancy services residential tenancy agreement with or without extra terms and conditions added by the landlord, and it can be found on the tenancy services website www.tenancy.govt.nz. Another option is, or where a tenancy agreement could come from, would be an agreement that is drafted using that same website. There's a there's a residential tenancy agreement builder on there. Then um, sometimes a property manager company might create a different template agreement, and then also some landlords or their agents might just make up their own unique agreement. But it's important that the tenant tenant is familiar with all the conditions in the agreement, especially if the landlord has written the terms and conditions themselves. The tenancy services residential tenancy agreement or, or an agreement generated using the residential tenancy agreement builder are generally the best agreements for tenants because these only contain lawful conditions. They are simple and they're easy to understand and they set out clearly what the landlord and tenant must do. So what needs to be covered in them? So the minimum requirements of a tenancy agreement must include the following. Full names and contact addresses of the tenant or tenants and the landlord and any email addresses and mobile phone numbers. Addresses can't be a PO box. The address of the rental property, the date the tenancy agreement is signed, the start date of the tenancy, an address for service for both the landlord and the tenant, This is the address that official documents such as legal notices should be sent. It must be a physical address and does not have to be the tenancy address. A PO box number can be added as an additional address. Also must cover or must um, include whether the tenant is under the age of 18, the amount of any bond charged, 
the amount and frequency of rent payments, how the rent will be paid, e.g. a bank account number, and a list of any chattels like furniture, curtains and other fittings provided by the landlord. If the tenancy is fixed term and the date, if it is fixed term, the date the tenancy will end. And there also must be statements on insurance, insulation and healthy homes, which we'll cover soon. So the approved tenancy services residential tenancy agreement also includes these further terms and conditions. The rights of the tenant to assign, which means to transfer the tenancy to another person. The maximum number of people who may occupy the house or flat at any one time and the keeping of pets and animals. There must also be statements on insurance, insulation and healthy homes. So landlords are required to provide three statements alongside the tenancy agreement. These statements relate to the landlord's insurance cover over the property, the property's insulation and whether the property complies with the healthy home standards. Tenancy services have provided approved statements for landlords to fill in and they're um, at pages 7 to 9 of the Tenancy Services Residential Tenancy Agreement. These templates have been approved by tenancy services, so tenants should be wary of alternative statements as they may include unlawful clauses. And just a note there that from the 1st of December 2020, most new or renewed tenancies require a detailed statement about the property, property's current level of compliance with the healthy home standards. The Tenancy Services template for the Healthy Homes Compliance Statements can be found at tenancy.govt.nz under Assets and then Forms and Templates. So your initial property inspection is really important. At the start of the tenancy, it's important to record the condition the property is in. This can help to avoid problems later on. The tenant needs to make sure that they do a thorough check of the property at the beginning of the tenancy and record an accurate picture of the state that the property is in. Again, this property inspection form is part of the Tenancy Services Residential Tenancy Agreement um, on page 10. So it includes everything that you should look at. Um, the tenant should work through this with the landlord to make sure they have a shared understanding of any issues with the property right from the outset. The form has space to record details about the condition of all areas of the property, including space to note any existing damage or defects, and also to list any furniture and other shadows in the home. Digital records are really, really important here. It's, it's, re it's vitally important and a you should do this, good idea, to take digital photos or even a video recording as this visual record provides really helpful evidence of the actual condition of things at the time. Digital records have details of the date taken or the, or the date created as part of the file information which provides evidence of when the photo or video was taken. It's important to make sure that any disrepair or damage is recorded because this will be the reference point for any issues that are raised later about damage to the property. Any damage or disrepair should be recorded regardless of promises that it will be fixed soon. If the tenant can't prove that the damage existed before they moved in, they may be held responsible for the cost of repairing the damage or it may impact on how much of their bond they get back at the end of the tenancy. So um, for more information on a tenant's responsibility to pay for damage... Um, there's great information on the Aratohu website, uh, tenant.aratohu, A-R-A-T-O-H-U.nz. Both the landlord and the tenant should sign, date and keep a copy of the property inspection report. So um, paying the bond, 
It's one of the important payments at the start of a tenancy. Um, and it can be up to the equivalent of four weeks' rent. So a bond is payment ma- a payment made by one party to another as a guarantee that the payer will perform a specified service or duty. In tenancy agreements, a bond is paid by the tenant as a guarantee that they will meet their obligations under the agreement, and if they don't, to compensate the landlord out of the bond money for any costs to the landlord, for example, unpaid rent or damage or loss caused by the tenant that has to be fixed when the tenancy ends. So how much bond has to be paid? Like I said, landlords are able to require a bond equivalent to four weeks' rent and can require this bond to be paid up front at the beginning of the tenancy. This money is held by tenancy services until the end of the tenancy. Um, and just note that there are actually separate bond rules that relate to boarding houses, which we're not going to go into today. Um, the landlord can decide to ask for less than four weeks' rent as a bond, but they are not able to require more than four weeks, even if they call it something else. For example, a separate pet bond is not allowed. The bond amount can be increased if the rent goes up and refunded if it goes down so that it remains equivalent to four weeks' rent. Any additional bond paid needs to be receipted and lodged with the bond centre. If a tenant pays their rent, does not damage the property or remedies any damage, they should expect to get the bond refunded at the end of the tenancy. If, however, there is any unpaid rent, damage to the property or any other claims relating to the tenancy, the landlord can request reimbursement out of the bond money. So, lodging the bond. um, On receiving the bond from the tenant, the landlord is legally required to provide the tenant with a receipt. They also must lodge the bond with the bond centre, which is part of tenancy services, within 23 working days. This is an important requirement because it ensures that the bond does not become the landlord's by default. It means that any disputes about whether the bond should be released to the tenant or kept by the landlord are dealt with fairly and lawfully. And a tip here, if the, if the tenant has not received an acknowledgement from tenancy services of the bond launchment within six weeks of paying it to their landlord, they should follow up with their landlord or if they prefer, contact the tenancy services bond centre on 0800 737 to confirm whether the bond has been lodged. It is unlawful for a landlord to charge too much or try to avoid paying the bond at the bond centre. The tenancy tribunal may make a landlord pay up to $1,000 exemplary damages if there is proof that they intended to do this. Unfortunately, a large number of tenant applications to the tenancy tribunal are about landlords not lodging the bond with the bond centre. So, um, rent in advance and other charges you may come across. At the start of the tenancy, tenants are commonly required to to pay two weeks' rent in advance. Landlords can ask tenants to pay up to two weeks' rent in advance, and most landlords will do this. This counts as the tenant's first rent payment. The landlord can't ask for more rent until all of that rent has been used up. Some tenants find this concept of rent in advance confusing, but a way to explain it is that it's like paying money into a parking meter. You pay the money when you park, which covers the period from then until the money runs out. Then you pay again for the next period. As with all rental payments, the tenant is entitled to and should receive some form of receipt for any rent paid in advance. If the tenant pays by automatic payment or deposits the first payment directly into the landlord's bank account, then the electronic record of the transaction will be sufficient. But if they pay in cash, the landlord must give the tenant a written receipt for the rent at the time of payment. So another charge that a landlord can require is is called an option fee. 
though this is quite uncommon. This is money tenants give to the landlord to hold the property while they decide whether or not to rent it. An option fee is an exception to the general prohibition against something called key money, which we'll talk about in a minute. The maximum amount for an option fee is one week's rent. And if the tenant decides to rent the property, the landlord must refund the option fee or put it towards rent. They cannot keep it as an additional payment on top of the rent. Um, Power, phone, internet and other utilities, there are obviously other costs that the tenants face when starting a tenancy. Um, And tenants are responsible for paying what they use themselves. So now we'll talk a little bit about unlawful charges. Rent and bond are the primary charges a tenant will face at the beginning of a tenancy. At times, landlords or their agents may try to charge tenants for other costs that are unlawful, and it's really important to be aware of these. There's something called key money. So it's unlawful for a landlord to require the tenant to pay key money. The Residential Tenancy Act defines key money as money demanded for the grant, continuance, extension, variation or renewal of a tenancy agreement. So it's essentially a payment that the landlord or their agent asks the landlord to pay simply for the privilege of being able to rent a house or flat. Or taken quite literally, the payment required in order to get the key to the property. So it's totally unlawful. There are a range of different kinds of administration charges that a landlord might ask for at the beginning of the tenancy, which may in fact be illegal key money. Sometimes these are written in the tenancy agreement as conditions of the tenancy. Um, Below are some common examples of unenforceable conditions that have appeared in tenancy agreements drafted by landlords and property management companies just to be aware of. So you can't say something in your tenancy agreement like this tenancy is not covered by the Residential Tenancy Act. The Act applies to all residential tenants, including boarding houses, um, with a few exceptions. Landlords and tenants can't avoid the requirements of the Residential Tenancy Act by including a clause in the agreement stating that the Act does not apply or by calling the agreement a licence to occupy rather than a lease. So another example of um, some common a common um, unenforceable condition that have appeared in tenancy agreements. The property manager is working on behalf of the landlord and has no direct or personal liability to the tenant under this agreement. Again, that's a totally unlawful and unenforceable statement. A property manager is working as a legal agent of the landlord and in some cases they may be personally responsible for actions that they take even if the agreement says they aren't. Another example of an unlawful and unenforceable clause is in the event of a dispute between tenants or with the landlord, the landlord's decision will be final and binding on all parties. It's again um, unlawful. Tenants are always allowed to ask their legal rights to be respected and, and that any problems be remedied. This could include seeking a remedy against the landlord from the tenancy tribunal. So another thing... Uh, sort of an administration fee that may come about or the landlord might talk about. It's called a letting fee, but really letting fees are just a form of key money and are similarly illegal. These fees are charges by letting agents, like real estate agents or property managers or lawyers that relate to setting up, extending, varying 
or renewing the tenancy. This includes costs like listing and advertising the property, holding open homes, vetting applications and preparing the tenancy agreement. These kinds of charges have to be paid for by the landlord and can't be passed on to the tenant. The only situation where tenants may end up lawfully having to cover some of these costs is if the tenant wants to exit a fixed-term tenancy early or to assign or sublet the property to someone else. In these situations, landlords and their agents can still ask for their reasonable costs to be reimbursed. These are also known as break fees or break lease costs. So what can be done about unlawful charges? Um, so if the landlord asks the tenant to pay costs that are additional to the rent and bond, there is a good chance that these charges are unlawful. The tenant should ask the landlord or agent to put the request in writing so it's clearly recorded why the request has been made. If the tenant considers that the request is unlawful because, for example, it falls under the definition of key money or as a letting fee, they could write to the landlord explaining why the money will not be paid. And there's a template for this letter um, on the Aratohu website, tenant.aratohu.nz. If a tenant does end up paying a, cha- a charge that is in fact unlawful or is concerned that if they don't pay the charge, this may impact on whether they can secure the tenancy, they can still seek to recover that money at a later date during or at the end of the tenancy, i.e. it's not lost forever. Um, so, yeah, paying the rent... Rent is the money paid by the tenant for the right to live in a property. The payment of the rent is a critical part of the landlord-tenant relationship, particularly from the perspective of the landlord. Because of this, rent is often one of the issues leading to conflict or to a dispute between the landlord and the tenant. So how should rent be paid? The tenant and the landlord have to agree how the rent will be paid, like um, you know the place or bank account number where the rent is to be paid, and include details about this in the tenancy agreement, as we've, as we've mentioned. The, most people pay their rent by automatic payment into their landlord's bank account. Some pay in cash, which isn't recommended, as I'll go into later. The landlord must provide the tenant with receipts for their, their rent payments when no other payment record is available to the tenant. The landlord must also keep rent records, and the tenant can ask for a copy of these at any time. It's a good idea for tenants to keep their own rent records as well so that if there is any dispute, they have proof of payments. Tenants should avoid paying by rent in cash. If possible, you should definitely avoid it. There's a risk with cash that an adequate record of payment is not being maintained by the landlord and so proving payment may end up being a problem at a later stage. Other possible issues that are that the tenant are that the tenant may have to travel to the landlord to make the payment, which can take time and money, or if the landlord or property manager comes to the property to collect the rent, this can sometimes become a way of them checking up on the condition of the property or the behaviour of the tenant without following the rules around inspections. If rent is paid in cash, the tenant should make sure they get a receipt for every payment they make and keep these in a safe place. But it's really strongly encouraged to pay into the landlord's bank account through an automatic payment rather than cash. Several reasons why it's preferable. There's a record which is difficult to dispute. It's more secure. You don't, the tenant doesn't have to hold on to cash with the risk that it may be stolen or spent on something else before making the rent payment. And once it's set up, it's a straightforward process for the tenant um, as long as you, they make sure that there's adequate funds in there to make the payment. So um, that's the end of what we're going to cover this evening. If this has brought up any issues or questions for you, please get in touch with us. 
and we can advise and guide you of your options for your particular situation um, and talk you through some of the things we've covered today. Um, you know, at Citizens Advice Bureau, we help people to know and understand their rights. We offer free confidential advice and information about anything um, for anyone. Um, you can call us, 471-6166, to connect us with us directly in Dunedin or on the nationwide free phone 0800 367 which may be answered anywhere nationwide, or find us at 155 Princes Street, Dunedin. If you would like to see us face-to-face, please call us direct first to check that we don't already have a client in the interview room. There are two shifts a day, 10 to 1 and 1 to 5, except for Friday we are 10 to 1. Um, Just give us a call at the start of the shift. Most inquiries can be answered over the phone. We also have three options for language assistance, including the option of booking an interpreter for you ahead of time if English isn't your first language. But we also have an on-demand phone interpreter that we can access at any time if you do come in. Um, So take a look at our website, www.cab.org.nz where you'll find answers to thousands of questions on your rights including tenancy rights um, or to explore our community directory with around 500 local services and organisations the other sites I'll just read out again that um, I've mentioned the Aratohu Tenant Advocacy website tenant.aratohu a-r-a-t-o-h-u dot n-z the Tenancy Services website, which is www.tenancy.govt.nz, and the Community Law Manual, which is communitylaw.org.nz forward slash community hyphen law hyphen manual. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, CAB Dunedin. Um, Namihi, Kia Koto, thank you all for listening today. Thank you to ORFM for hosting us again. Enjoy the rest of your evening, Kakite Ano.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.